This is an amazing topic. Um, hopefully, I will be able to help you realize the joy in it. I won't. Oh yeah. Well, they already read it. It's cool. <laughs> Whatever. Um, anyways, we're gonna be talking about dying today. It's gonna be awesome. Yes. Also, speaking of dying, did you guys know that I almost died over Christmas break? Yes. You knew? Yeah. I was literally like on my deathbed. It was pretty amazing and life changing. I don't know if you guys ever had a near death experience. It was super peaceful. Um, you know, going to the bathroom meant I needed to lay it down for 10 minutes after because I couldn't see and I, you know, tunnel vision. I thought it was normal to take a shower sitting on the ground. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. And so um, my friend's a nurse, and I don't know if you have gotten to know me yet, but I am i wouldn't call myself stubborn, but I have stubborn tendencies. You know what I'm saying? So, You're stubborn. I, whatever. Anyways, so Jonathan's like, we need to go to the doctor, and I'm like, I feel fine. I think I just have a cold, and I can't see. I need no, sun, no sunlight. I just need to lay here for three days. And my friend's a nurse, and so he calls her. He pulled the Nubia card. And so she's on the phone, and he's like, these are her symptoms. And she's like, what? Really? And then she goes, check her eyes. What are her eyes like? So turn to your neighbor and like look in that part of your eye. Do you see how it's red? Mine was white, and I'm black. <laughs> it was literally whiter than like piece, a piece of paper. And then I like, my heart dropped, and I'm like, I'm going to die today. This is it. I'm going to die. And so she's like, get into the hospital right now. So we drove to the ER, and they picked me up like in seven minutes. Like, I was back there. They tried to take my blood pressure, and my arm, like everything on me was always numb. And I thought that was normal, but it wasn't. Anyways, so they tried to take my blood pressure, and I'm like, I need to sit down. And the guy's like, no, no, no. Like, this is normal. Do you Have you ever had your blood taken before? And I'm like, yes, and I can't stand up. And so then he's pumping my arm, and then it's just, like, doing this. And it's, like, floating, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, put your arm down. I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so the doctor came in, and he's like, leave her alone. Let her lay down. And then they took, like, my blood, and then he's like, you got to go to the hospital now. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die today. And I started praying, and then it was just crazy. Anyways, Valentine's Day is literally right around the corner. <laughs> Then the judge, his house arrest person, 
became friends with him because they basically lived together. And so he's like, I want to know this God that you claim to be the ruler of all. And so Valentine's like, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, heal my daughter. She's been blind. And so he prayed for her. She was healed. And then his whole family got saved. And then he went back to Claudius, this evil guy, this emperor, and he tried to convert him. And he's like, I'm not about that. You're going to die. And so he set up a beating for him. He was like clogged and stoned. And he didn't die because he was strong. And then he said, okay, we'll behead you. And guess which day he was beheaded on? The 14th of February. We celebrate Valentine's Day on that day. Do you guys even know? It's just, he was a martyr. It's, yeah. Okay, so I want you all to remember this. The next time you think about Valentine's Day, it's not about chocolate and roses. This lame guy tried to make money off of it a thousand years later, and that's where you get that. But let us remember and understand that what we're really celebrating is a man being nearly beaten to death and then beheaded. Isn't that sad? It's a little sad. So now you know you can go burst someone else's little bubble. It's kind of fun. I love it. Okay. So this man, Valentine, he literally gave his life up so couples could actually be in love with each other and committed. So there comes a time in your life where you have to say, like, is what I believe in worth dying for? Yes. Is what you believe in worth dying for? And this... You know, it's a very heavy topic, but I believe there's so much joy in it because there's so much freedom that comes from it. Yeah. Um, last week, Chris, he talked about how God loves us. You guys feel loved by God? Yeah? Yeah. yeah? yeah, I feel so loved, you know. But we didn't really ask the question, does God feel loved by us? He agapes us, but do we agape him? So, do we unselfishly choose for the highest good of him and his kingdom, or are we building our own kingdom, which feels a lot better in the moment, you know? Yeah. So he asks us these things. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Luke 9 says, He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he wants us to die. That's how we love him. So do we just jump off a bridge and it's like, okay, I died for you. Okay, that's it. You know, I don't think so. Don't do that, please. And I, I don't say to do that. But you can die physically. Martyrdom is a thing. But it also means spiritually dying to your will, dying to your dreams and your visions that you may have had in your life and just literally giving those things up for God. So let's look at the word martyr, which is actually is martus, but it literally with the accent, with the guy who says it, like his accent, it sounds like martyr, like martyr. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Acts 1-9, he says, you will be my witness. That's what martyrs is. So you will be my witnesses, my martyrs in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After that, so the term martyr actually meant witness, just someone who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. But persecution came, and Christians were being beaten, and then it became like a blood witness. And then, after all the tribulations, people started dying. And so then the term was meant for people who gave their life for the Lord. So, uh, 
Old Testament, New Testament. Have, have you guys like read the Bible and you read the Old Testament and you're like, man, God was mean. And then you read the New Testament and you're like, how are they getting away with all this stuff? You know what I'm saying? So Old Testament martyrs, prophets. So the thing, that theme is you get what you deserve. So their prayers go like this. They're running out of the city because they're being flogged. People are screaming at them, kicking their butts. And then they're like, may you pay for what you've done to me. I'm like, God, I want you to smite them, kill them all. And you know what? The Lord actually does that. Like, each time, he, he actually brings calamity upon them. He's like, would you curse their children and their children's children? And lo and behold, the Lord does it. Have you ever wished that upon someone? I mean, we cannot be honest. Sometimes... You know, if I'm, like, looking for a parking spot and then someone cuts me off and they know I'm, like, sitting there waiting for it, I'm like, Lord, may they pay for what they've done. <laughs> but I know that's wrong. That's wrong. There was one time I was with my small group leader, and we were driving. I don't remember where we were going, but we were in her car, and this big car just comes up. It's, like, a long car, longer than an F-350, but an old car. And it, you could feel the base. Like, it was just boom, boom, and her car was so tiny, it was shaking, and then it cuts us off, and then so we, like, got stuck at the light, and I'm like, God, where are the cops when you need it? Like, we need some, we need you to back us up, God, and then, like, literally before I finished my statement, the lights came on, and then that cop pulled him over, and I'm like, what just happened? And then Sonia was like, look, your words are powerful, don't be praying that over people, and I'm like, yes, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on myself. Okay, so that's Old Testament. New Testament, the theme is grace abound. So grace versus mercy. I want to explain that because I used to get really confused with those two things. So if I'm driving here, I'm on my way to Kayafa, and you know how it's like 45, and then it drops to 30 in like 10 feet. A cop pulls me over. This is mercy. He doesn't give me a ticket, and he lets me go. Grace, he pulls me over. He doesn't give me a ticket, and then he's like, Here's $1,000. Go treat yourself. That's grace. So the whole New Testament is all about getting God giving what you don't deserve because he loves you. So Stephen, on to martyrdom. Stephen was our first Christian martyr. And his story is in Acts 16. But basically, he was doing the work of the Lord, like doing good things, doing signs and wonders, and healing people. And people got jealous obviously. And so they took him in and they're like, tell us what you've been doing. He's pretty fiery too. So he told them the truth, like real truth. And then like, if you read it, as he was speaking, they were like covering their ears and saying, I don't want to hear this and ripping their clothes off. I'm like, what the, like, you can see what he, like, if you read, read it, read Acts 6 on your own and you'll be like, that doesn't warrant ripping your clothes off. Anyways, so he, <laughs> They threw him in a pit and they stoned him to death. And all the all the time that he was being stoned, he's like, Lord, hold not this against them. Only because he wanted them to know Jesus in the end. Yeah. So the whole New Testament theme is like reconciliation. You can beat me, you can say what you want to me, but in the end, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the love that God gave to me. Yeah. So his love of God kept him from yielding to the mob. His love for his neighbor made him pray for those who were stoning him. His love inspired him to reprove those who erred and to make amends. His love led him to pray for those who stoned him to save from punishment. And because he did that, 
we get Paul, who was then Saul. And he became one of the greatest missionaries in the new church and just did awesome things. But he was literally the one that was standing in the back like, yeah, go ahead, throw the stones. Like, all, they laid all their coats in front of him. And he just, I can't imagine what it would have been like if Stephen would have been like, God, let him pay for what he's done. We wouldn't be here. Isn't that crazy? So his death convicted Paul, and he gave his life to the Lord. So the persecution of the followers of Jesus, it, every time someone was hurt or persecuted, it just made the gospel that much more evident, and it just spread like wildfire. But that, like, Stephen's death was only the first one, and after that, it just gets way worse. So Peter's wife, Peter was another one of the disciples in Tradition has it to where the man was the head of the household. So basically, you're, if you're a man, you're responsible for your family. So if you said, my family is going to be Christians, they're going to be Christians, and they found out and they didn't like that, they would murder every single one of your family members in front of you. You'd watch it, and then they're like, well, you're responsible for it, so now it's your turn to die. Like, good job, husband. And the worst thing with that, with Peter's wife... A lot of the times, they would take the wives and they would rape them. And then they would beat them in front of them, in front of the men. And it's like, this is what you did. And it's like, is my religion worth that? Watching your spouse and your children die. Like, ask yourself, if that was me, would I say, remember the Lord? As his wife was being pulled away, he was saying, remember the Lord. That's not even worse. It gets worse. And then it's going to get better, so don't worry. But the movie Gladiator, they had to delete a scene because it was so bad. It was, I mean, if you've seen the movie, there's that, the lion, whatever that thing is, where they're coming out of the hold and grabbing people. But they would put the Christians in this coliseum for entertainment. So it was like a sport. So they just throw them in there and let the lions attack them. And, but if you have... A family of four kids, mom and dad, the parents would literally shove their kids in the lion's mouths. Like, bye baby, and you're eating. And they would just be eating just like that. But then I was so mad when I heard that. I'm like, what? Why would people do that? But if you've ever even just watched a cat, the first kill is the fastest. The, after they're full, they play with their prey. So the parents even sacrifice the way of dying for their children. Other torture methods, well, I've been reading a lot about this, and it just, when I'm at home, I'm like, so angry, because why would people do something so cruel to others? Sometimes they would put a boiling pot and just throw someone in there and let them boil to death. They would put animal skins on them and throw them in the woods and say, like, have at it. Hats and shoes that are on fire and roasting people like pigs, burned alive. The crazy thing, even then, those who loved God did not even flinch from the consequences that even meant, even if that meant capital punishment or death. They died because they believed in the one true God in the midst of polytheism. They believed that nothing else could come even close to the level of God that they of the God that they served. And they believed that everyone should know the love of the Father, no matter what your background, no matter what your history. And that was was something worth dying for. 
because Jesus died for them too. He died for you too. But he never said it would be easy. He never said it wouldn't cost something. And he never said you shouldn't or wouldn't die. And I really do doubt if all of them had the chance to do it over, to choose Christianity or not, I really think they would still do it again in a heartbeat. Like, even reading the stories, even Stephen's, even Stephen's story, he fell asleep while being stoned. Like, the word fell asleep peacefully while he's being yelled at and tossed around. And all of the martyr stories I've been reading, they didn't cry out loud. Even when they're being burned alive, they were singing praises and hymns to the Lord. Even Isaiah, his story, he literally was sawed in two, like with a wooden saw. I've never even seen that in my life. Like, how do, you, how do you saw someone? And he literally was just praising the Lord and saying, God, don't hold this against them. We're called to die. It may not be physical for all of us, but some of our dreams have to die. Some of our visions, our wills, our emotions, our rights. Like I was saying earlier, the New Testament is about reconciliation. That's the new vision. The hope of salvation that everyone deserves to be pursued and loved back into the kingdom of God. And that means, yes, even those who hurt you, abused you, treated you wrongly, killed family, like, it doesn't matter. They all deserve the right to know Jesus. And a lot of the times, the deepest hurt is, is proportionate to intimacy. So if you love someone a lot and they hurt you, it hurts a lot more. And that means people in the church. Like, if you look around, I mean, I know no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. So if people in the church hurt you, yeah, that, that happens, but it's still our responsibility to love them like Jesus loved us. And when we're, we were not the people that we were created to be, God still loved us. So imagine if we, when we hurt others, if they prayed those calamity prayers on you. I would totally be dead because I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> and I know, okay, I love this song, but I'm going to see a victory. Do you guys know what you're really singing? I'm going to see a victory, that song. It's not, sometimes our victory is not what God sees. Like, sometimes our victory we won't see in this life. It won't be, I'm going to get a new car, or I'm going to get the job that I want, or I'm going to get into the school that I've been praying to get into because God's my victor, and he died for this victory of mine. I'm going to get a six-figure job. Like, no. Like, sometimes you're called to die. You can't put your life in your own hands because you'll be like Judas. Jesus thought Jesus should be ruling now. He's like, what do I need to do to make him come out? And that was what he thought. That's like the Judas spirit. The real victory is dying to self and becoming alive in him. And living in the love that way he intended. After the fall, death has always been the call. That rhymes. Death has always been the call after the fall. Remember that? It's pretty cool. Okay. So, Mark 8, he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? That's Mark 8, 34-36. So denying yourself, picking up your cross, um, it's not just a, like, I'm going to not care where we eat today or yeah, my roommate's not doing this thing, but, you know, I'll do it for now. Like, it's not that. It means to die. Like, it literally has meant always to die. It means to pick up your life and say, it's not worth it. Your, your way is worth it, God. His is the only way that says, come, die first, and then I'll make you new. Because he literally, you're standing at the door, and he's like, all right, die. It's going to murder you right there. And before you even step over, he brings you back to life. It's crazy. Like, he, you enter the gate, and you're a new person already. And if you're willing to go that way, like, you're new in him, and you're stronger, you're better. You have no worry. You have no guilt. So what are we living for? Winky Patney is one of, he's like, he's old and awesome. <laughs> he's a musician and a scientist, and that's like what I did. And I was like, you're my hero, and you're so alive. It's great. He says, <laughs> he says, no man can change the world until he himself has been changed. No man can free others until he himself is truly free. We are slaves to whatever we choose to obey. So we can either be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. There's only one that's qualified to rule us. One that's qualified to, to be the leader of our lives. And who better is qualified than the one who created us? The one who surveyed the whole universe, like, just, yeah, like, he is the one that should be ruling our lives. He is the one that is, like, our loving father and who knows best for us. And if he's not truly our master, then we're not Christians. And that's a really harsh statement, but it's true. If he's not truly your master, then don't, you're not a real Christian. And I say to myself, I'm not preaching to you guys, like, this is for all of us. No man is a true Christian who has not made Jesus Lord of all known areas of life. So our hearts can be fixed on pleasing Christ or pleasing ourselves. If we don't belong to God, his laws will seem tiresome. His demands will seem extreme, and we will rant and rebel against his commands. When we give ourselves to him, we become truly free, because he's a loving master and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. So that means we have to give everything. All of our rights. All of our dreams. And then until that happens, he's not really our master. His yoke. If you were in West Texas, so you guys know what a yoke is. It's the thingy that pulls the cows together as they're like going. You know what that means? The little wooden thing. Okay, so... I don't know. I didn't know that until I moved to the desert. <laughs> Anyways, I grew up in the city. So his yoke is meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Note that it's not weak. Meek ones finish the wars. Because, yeah, we need meek people. Anyways, take up his yoke of meekness, and that means being yielded. The result of that yieldedness is like fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you have a life that's devoted to God and that's yielded to God, you should be kind. You should be gentle. Like You can get angry, but that should not be the thing of your life. You know, Every, we all are still walking and still growing. 
But if you're meek, it determines, like, how much God is actually speaking to you and how much you're listening. If you're not yielded, he could be saying, this is awesome. Come over here. And you're like, I'm going to go over here. And it's like when you're yielded, you can actually hear his voice and you can listen to him and you can follow him. There's no stress. There's no worry because worry literally only comes when we try to control our own lives. So. The more our wills are yielded, the greater our faith and self-control. And then this thing that Mickey talks about, uh, gosh, this literally changed my life. Like, it's so good. And I thought I was, I thought when I was a Christian, I knew the Lord, like, most of my life, like, like, all of it. And then I came to college, and I was just shook, like, I thought I was selfless, but I literally was selfish, like, all the way. But Winky talks about these six essentials for living, but we're not supposed to assume responsibility for these things. These are the things that the Lord has, so we can't, like, these are the things that we need to be able to let go. The first one, acceptance. Everybody wants to get along. Everybody wants a family, you know, like... Ram fam, ram fam for life. Like, you want to be a part of the group. You want to be needed, wanted, cared for. But this is the hard reality. You can't make people like you. You can't make people love you. You have to be okay with having the Lord accept you and that be enough. Because you're literally, you know, when someone, you do something and someone doesn't take it right and they get offended and you stay up all night thinking like, what can I do to make that better? She didn't say hi to me. She didn't hug me. She hates me. My life is over. And it's like, uh, no. Like, let the Lord be enough. Is he enough for you? The second one, accomplishment. Longing to do something big and great with your life. Something that means something. Something that's important. Like, it's crazy. I, when I was in college, I did chemistry first. Then I did music to appease my family. And so when I did chemistry, I was working on this research project for breast cancer. So my teacher had found the hormone. And so we made these little glow-in-the-dark things, dinoflagellates, so they would light up when it came in contact with the breast cancer hormone. It was so cool. I'm like, Lord, I'm healing people with my knowledge. It's going to be great. And then God's like, you don't trust me to heal them with without the knowledge you don't trust me to be able for you to pray for someone healed and I was like anyways gave that up it was great (laughs) so I I don't know like you want to use your talents for something good but sometimes the Lord asks you to lay it down and he'll give it back like if it's good he'll give it back so another cool example um, I'm super particular and I like doing things a certain way and so when we got married Saturdays were our Sabbath. That was the only day we had off. So I would wake up with a list of like 50 things that I had to do in the day in order for it to be complete. And then Jonathan would be like, I want to sleep till noon. Let's just go with the flow. And I'm like, no, we got to go to the park. We got to go to Target because I need to shop. I got to go get my eyebrows done. I got to go do this, this, and this, and this, and all this to be happy. And then when I missed one thing, I, I it was over. And I just freak out and be like, I'm not resting because I didn't get to do the thing. And it's like, we should have slept in. We should not have slept in. We should have gotten up earlier. And 
No, like, give that up. Like, God is proud of you before you do anything. He was proud of Jesus before he did anything. So understand, you don't have to prove anything to him. The third one, provision. Having food and housing, having money to eat, pay bills, and your taxes if you're into that or anything. <laughs> I'm totally not into paying my taxes, but I have to. So the Lord provides. <laughs> he clothes the flowers in the field, and we are so much more important than that. So just stop worrying. I feel like the second you stop worrying, everything is just, it's like rainbows. I would like pace myself and like, what can I sell? What can I do? I need to pay this, I need to pay that. But the Lord always would provide. And so one day I'm like, well, I'm just going to stop worrying about it. Like, it's not doing anything for me. And he's still providing. We were going, we were going to church, but it was two hours away. And it was, we got a ticket for speeding, but it wasn't like, yeah, I was speeding. It was just good conversation, and the speed was going up. And so $200 later, we're on our way to church, and it's like, oh, well, well, you have to take care of it. Your will, your bill, okay? And so we get to the church, and this couple comes up to us, and they're like, I feel like I need to give you this. And it was a check. It was a fat check. It paid for our, it paid for our bill. It literally, literally paid for the ticket, and Oh man, it was so cool. It was so cool. You know how you get tested and then you pass the test. You're like, I did not worry that time, Lord. It was great. It was awesome. So just stop worrying. You know, the Lord will provide. You don't have to stress. Possessions, things we can call our own, things that are in our house and that are yours. I like my own things. I like having my things. I like saying that word that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> And it was, okay, so the Czech Republic is awesome, so if you ever go, you're going to love it and I want to come back. But I met this girl named Daya, and she taught me how to be a little bit more selfless than I assumed that I was. And I thought, when you go overseas, like, you bring your best clothes, your favorite t-shirts, rep your school. I walk in there, and she's like, I like that shirt. And I'm like, okay, I want that shirt. Like, okay. And so I'm like... Thinking the whole week, okay, how, what else could I give her that she would, that was my favorite shirt. And she's, she's just like, I want that shirt. Remember, I want that shirt. And I'm like, are you sure you want the shirt? And she goes, yes, I want the shirt. So I had to give her the shirt. And then the next year, I went back and I did the same thing. And she was like, I want that shirt. I'm like, Daya. And then she took my hat. And I'm like, Lord. And it was the only one on Amazon. There wasn't another one. There's not another one ever again. But then there was, and I got it. But anyways, <laughs> I had to give it up. And it was okay. But it's just, we only have things because God gave them to us in the first place. And we always have enough to share. And you have to be willing to say, like, here, you can have it. And be giving it with a cheerful heart, not, like, being resentful from it. <laughs> the fifth thing Safety, to be protected from hurt or danger, disaster, illness, all those things. Car accidents. Have you guys ever been in a car accident? Yeah. I just hit a deer. I was in the hospital. I literally was, I hit a deer. And my car is sick right now. Luna or Ryan is just, she's, she's so sad. But she's getting fixed tomorrow. It's going to be great. Anyways, one time I got in this accident, it was really bad. And I was on my way home from Salt. Of all places. Yes, it was the first of the year, 
And it had rained, but then it had stopped. And so I was driving home, wasn't even speeding. I hydroplaned off of an overpass. I know. My car flipped so many times. But luckily, we just came from salt. So I was praying the whole time, worshiping the Lord. So when I flipped, and it was like muddy, so the mud took the glass out of the car. So the car was filled with mud, but there weren't any pieces of glass or heavy metal. So like the car flipped three times, and then I'm sitting there like, what just happened? And then my car stopped. It's dead, but my radio is still going, and it's the Hillsong. I called, like the words were, I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. And I was like, what just happened? And then I looked around, I'm like covered in mud, and then I started screaming, I'm like, ah, what's going on? And then I like jumped out the window, don't know how I did that, but I literally got up in there with, that, with a tiny little scratch on my pinky, and then by the time I went home, it was gone. But like, the Lord, he has you, you don't have to worry. I mean, I do get a little paranoid at night, because I don't like the deer. But <laughs> it's like a, day, a daily thing, I'm daily dying, you know, daily asking God, like, would you show me that I don't need to lock my room door when I go to sleep, that you're going to protect me, and it's going to be great, and yeah. My first panic attack ever, side story, I was in the state park, and I had this panic attack with a fly. It was, <laughs> it was a fly. The thing, this fly, though, it was one of those doctor flies that sting you, so it was like a big, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So we're on this seven-mile trail, and we're three miles in, and this thing keeps going for my face, like, just buzzing me. So we were, like, had our shirts just, like, swinging it back and forth. And I'm like, Lord, stop this thing. Would you kill this fly now? And then I took off running and ran half a mile. I stopped, and then I'm just, like, breathing really hard, and I'm crying. And I start screaming, and Dom's like, you cannot scream in the middle of the woods. And I'm just like, help me, help me. I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm going to throw up. And he's like, you're having a panic attack. Help me with this, 
or do you try to fix it in your own hand or do you gossip about it and you know like even even with friends it's hard especially if you have close roommates if someone disses you and you're like you're shocked and what do I do about that you're like did you see what she did to me she's wearing the same shoes I'm wearing not cool and it's like no don't do that take it to God like why do you need to have the only pair of vans in the room that I'm wearing vans but that's not that's not it that's not me or anything but anyways do you gossip or do you pray are you close to God do you tell him what's really going on does he know the secret spaces in your heart do you let him in on your thoughts even though he can already he already knows it but like do you let him in on it the world is so fallen but are we still willing to pray for those who hurt us? It's very hard to do that. I'm still learning that. But one day they're going to know Jesus because of it, maybe. And that has to be enough. Is New Testament versus Old Testament? Do you want them to get? Do you want the Lord to get revenge for you? Like, what does does that do? Nothing. Old Old Testament says that. New Testament says it doesn't matter, Lord. I'll suffer so that my persecutors may one day come to know you and know that you love through weaknesses. You love me and you love them. Again, death was always the call. Okay, back to the hospital. So I'm in the hospital room and I'm just like, I'm going to die. And Jonathan's like, should you call your parents? And I'm like, no, we'll be fine. You know, I'm just going to get out of here in just a little bit. And he's like, I think we should call. I'm like, no, I think it's fine. I think, you know, but in my head, I'm like, I'm going to die in the next hour. Think about your happiest things, Pam. Think about your happiest things. I even had, like, Jonathan was, like, singing for me. I'm like, you need to sing for me now. I need music therapy in my life right now because I'm, I'm like, my heart rate's going up. And, I mean, after all of that, like, I never really realized that I was in the hospital. I really was in the hospital. But I didn't, it didn't register in my mind that it was me in the hospital. You know when, like, you have a good life, and I've never been in a hospital in my life before, and just being, like, in that spot, it was, it was so surreal. I'm like, someone else is here, but I'll pray for them. You know, just thinking, like, that's not me. That's, that cannot be me. But it may be you. Like, it may, it could be any of us, and we have to be okay with the fact that we may not be okay. And life sucks sometimes. <laughs> but it's not what you did or did not do. I wasn't sick because of what I did or did not do. It's just the world. I think it's cool, but with each trial that we go through, even if it doesn't come out good at the end, the Lord still gives you his perspective. So even if I wasn't sick, or if I didn't get better, I got better. They don't know what's wrong with me. Kind of they do, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyways, but I have to understand and know that the Lord's still good. It's, he's not at fault. No one's at fault. Philippians 4.11 says, At whatever state I'm in, always be content. When you're not content, it shows that you're holding on to the old concept of what a good life should be. So, as long as I've been in San Angelo since, like, August, literally 
something has happened to every single one of us. And sometimes we can't even, we can't really share. You know how you share with people and they're like, oh, you should never go on in the first place. You know, like, why did you go anyway? And so it's really hard because, like, literally month one, something happened. Month two, something happened. Month three, something happened. And, like, thinking about our friends and family and, like, what they would say, your life was good here. You still work for a church. You still are doing ministry. Why are you doing it over there? Like, that is literally the thing. When you guys do your mission letters and all that stuff, you'll get that. Like, your parents are like, do you need to go to Ecuador to serve Jesus? Yes, I do. And so knowing that, I mean, even learning this now, like, knowing even if my life was better, which is not, I still would come here for the fact that I know all of you guys. And one of you may know the Lord because I'm here. One of you may know the Lord because I suffered. And I would do it all again for the same thing. So will you be willing to suffer to know that someone that you're going to meet tomorrow, the next week, if they come to know the Lord, is he worth it? Is he worth dying to your paycheck for? Or dying to your major? Or dying to where you live? Because we live in the middle of nowhere. But, I mean, there's some cool things, too. But we still live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no trees. Okay. Are we willing to love the Lord like he wants to be loved? Do we have yielded hearts? And again, I'm not preaching to you guys. This is for all of us. Will we set our life aside and allow him to breathe a new one in us? One with purpose? One with weight and a call to make his name known and his kingdom known so that others may know and experience his love. 